Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In today's gospel, the disciples' world was seemingly falling apart right in front of them. They had had this wonderful Palm Sunday where Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem. But by the end of the week, Jesus is telling them not only that he's going to be betrayed and denied by some of them, but he's also telling them that he's going away. And they are living with troubled hearts. And I thought it'd be good if we looked at what Jesus told them and see if it can help us, because we certainly have our times of troubled hearts. And first, we're going to do a little flyover and talk about a few theological items. Uh, Theological may be the wrong word. This may be just things that matter so that we can understand what this gospel passage is about. And then we'll go back and look at what Jesus is telling us. The conversation in today's gospel reading takes place on that last supper afterwards, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet and has told them that he's going to be going away. And understandably, the disciples were troubled men. And knowing their anguish, Jesus spoke to this issue in the, trouble, in the words of chapter 14, where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Our Lord's statement was not just for his disciples, but it was for you and me too. As you can imagine, the disciples naturally are anxious about where Jesus is going. Is he going away? Are they going to be left bereft? Are they going to be orphans? So he speaks of his father's house. That's the image Jesus is using to say, I am not going to leave you as orphans. There is a place for you where I am going, and I will return and take you there. Now, some people get all caught up in trying to figure out what this house is like, uh, the father's house. Uh, And that's not the point. Other places in the Gospels, Jesus talks about how many mansions, many mansions, and I'm going to prepare them for you. Other places, Jesus uses other imagery to talk about the kingdom. The point is not the house or the mansion or other things. The point is that in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, there is an eternal home for every believer. And this promise is made as a way of assuring the disciples that though Jesus is going away, it will be for their benefit. He won't forget them. He won't abandon them. As a matter of fact, we read on in this uh, chapter, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them. And this promise also reaches out beyond the disciples to all of us. Now, you probably notice that these words are often used at funerals. And we can understand why. We, at a funeral, we can't see the way ahead. And at a funeral, one of the things we want to know is, is there really a way ahead? And is the person I love going to be able to find their way to that way? And Jesus is telling us, yes, there is a way. There is a place. And I am the way. And I will come and I will lead you there. Now, Thomas, in character, is grumpy. What do you mean we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. 
And Jesus' reply has haunted and confronted the world's imagination ever since. He said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Within the Western world of the last two centuries or so, this saying of Jesus has become one of the most controversial. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How dare he? People have asked, isn't this the height of arrogance for Jesus or anyone else to imagine he is the only way? I actually had a classmate in seminary ask a professor if Jesus, Jesus wasn't being a little egotistical when he said this. And the professor said, not if it's true. This is a sickly sweet sentiment that papers over a world of differences. But the differences remain, and the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus. The belief that all religions are really the same sounds nice and democratic, though the study of religions quickly shows you that it isn't true. And as an aside, I can tell you that I have never met a Muslim or a Jewish or Buddhist person who agreed that all religions are alike. As a matter of fact, they tell me they find it very offensive when Christians play this patronizing game. What you're really saying, if you claim religions are all the same, is that none of them are more or less than vague ideas about God that might get you to the foothills, but will never get you to the mountaintop. It isn't just John's gospel that you lose if you embrace this heresy that all religions are really the same. And it's a big one today. That's why I'm spending some time on it. You lose the whole New Testament. The whole of early Christianity insists that the one true and living God, the creator, the God of Israel, he is the one who acted decisively within history to bring Israel's story to its proper goal. And through that, to address and rescue the world. The idea of a vague general truth to which all religions bear some kind of oblique witness is truly foreign to Christianity. As a matter of fact, back in the 1800s, one of the attacks on Christianity was that really all religions are the same. So when Christians proclaim this, we can see how far the decay has set into the church. You see, the truth, the life through which we know and find the way is Jesus himself. The Jesus who washed the disciples' feet and told them to copy his example. The Jesus who, when he spoke these words, was on his way to give his life as the shepherd for the sheep. This is the same Jesus who tells the disciples and also tells us, Believe in God, believe also in me. So let me ask, do you believe in Jesus? It really matters. And it matters for how we approach this passage that we're looking at tonight. Do we approach it with faith or without? We're going to look at this passage with the eyes of faith. When Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled, he used a strong word. The idea is, don't let your heart shudder. 
He was saying specifically to the disciples, especially in light of what was about to be coming, it may look like your world is falling in and all is lost and the darkness is going to engulf you, but don't let your heart shudder. They explained how to do this. Now here's application for us. Believe in God, believe also in me. The way to have an untroubled heart is to believe in God and believe in Jesus. That's all there is to it. The tenses tell us in this sentence, keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me. If we would keep in mind the attributes of God, his sovereignty, his omniscience, his omnipotence, our hearts would not be troubled like they often are. The Lord knew we would need a further explanation. So he went on specifically to instruct the disciples and us on the nature of the belief that will deliver our troubled hearts. And it's all about Jesus. First of all, believe there is a place for you with Jesus in his kingdom. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? We have a longing for heaven. Whether we recognize it or not, we have a desire to be with Christ. And Jesus tells us how this longing will be fulfilled. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. The idea is, he is preparing an eternal place for us in his kingdom. When life falls in, when troubles assail us as they indeed will and do regularly, we can find comfort and rest for our troubled hearts in the fact that whatever we may be going through, it is not the end of the story. There is an eternal home prepared for us. And this deep understanding that there is an eternal home will bring rest to our souls in the midst of this troubled world. See, this isn't the end of the story, no matter what you're going through. Jesus writes the end of the story. I believe this is what made the Apostle Paul such a powerful force, even though his world kept falling in on him. His eyes were fixed on Christ and on Paul's own future in Christ's kingdom. And the second thing Jesus tells us to do is to believe that he is coming to take you to be with him. Now, this is important because in this place, that's all fine and good, but I don't want to be alone. In this place, you won't be alone. You'll be with Jesus. Jesus said, and I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In this broken world, we can gain relief for our troubled hearts from the fact that Jesus is going to take us to be personally with him. To borrow the analogy that Jesus has been using about a house, Jesus is not telling us that we will just have a house. He is telling us we will have a home. Not just the place, but the person. We're going to be with Jesus forever. I've told you this before, and yet it is so relevant to our troubles in this world, about the nun who was speaking at a retreat. And she said, when we die and are with the Lord, whatever troubles we went through in this life, 
They will seem like nothing more than one night in a bad motel. Put your faith in Jesus to see you through this life and all the way home. That is Jesus' final word for us in this passage. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When our hearts are troubled about many things, we need to remember and claim that Jesus Christ is everything. This pushes out worry because love leaves no room for worry. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and it is Christ's love that sees us through this troubled world. And he is healing medicine for our troubled souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.